Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, my guest is Kerry Hartland. Kerry is a principal advisor to Proximity, which is a a Canberra-based consulting and legal firm. But perhaps most importantly, Kerry was the secretary or the former secretary of the Department of Employment Skills, Small and Family Business. But she held that position after numerous positions across the public service, senior positions, including the deputy director of ASIO, which for those listeners from overseas is the Australian Security and Intelligence Organisation. And she was the first woman to hold that position. Before starting her 30-year career in the public service, Kerry actually began her career as a journalist and worked in the Federal Parliamentary Press Gallery here in Canberra. Now, for those of you who followed the 2020 GovComs Festival, many of you listened to my interview with Kerry Hartland, and it was at your request and demand that we bring Kerry back to continue the conversation. And uh, just a reminder about the 2020 GovComs Festival content, it can now be found at the GovComs Institute website, not all of it, We are steadily dripping it out over the years, so we don't want to give it all to you at once, Uh, but go to the GovComs Institute for all of that great and compelling content. But for today and for the moment, Kerry has joined me in the studio. Kerry, welcome to the GovComs podcast. Thanks very much. So just a transition from such a senior position in the government to consulting. Can you tell me about that? How has that been? Because formerly sitting on a big department with thousands of people, enormous responsibilities to the minister and everything else, and then out sort of applying your knowledge in a different way. How, how have you found the change? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I, I'd thought, you know, long and hard about sort of what I wanted to do next after government. And I guess I wanted to be doing something that was still have that nexus with government, that I could be still doing something in the public sector. But I was really keen to learn the commercial arts. So, um, but I, at Proximity, I'm doing a few things. I'm actually helping sort of with leadership of a very fast growing business. Yeah. Uh, so part of what I'm doing is internally focused and then partly is what I now know of BD, which is business development, you know, new terminology (laughs) for me Um, and learning that craft but also, you know, so working with some of my former colleagues in a sort of value-add way, I hope. So so I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's just – it's a very – different um, sort of uh, way of doing things, but also, as I said, you know, being able to reflect back on my experience in the public sector. So best of both worlds. Sure. What's the value that government gets from engaging with external companies? Because increasingly it, it would seem that that's the trend, that there's going to be this increasing uh, coming together, really, of the public and private sector to deliver the agenda of the government. 
Yeah, so I think from my point of view and, and when I was secretary as well, I always saw that there was value of getting fresh eyes uh, into organisations. And one of the things that I'd, I guess I'd underestimated a little bit in the consulting world is that I'm out and about a lot and I'm seeing across a range of organisations in a way that I didn't see as secretary. So being able to sort of actually make some connections at times, sometimes I feel like I'm that marriage sort of <laughs> relationship builder, you know, to say, oh, well, did you know over there they're doing this? Whereas you know, when you're in, yeah. as much as you're networking within your organisation, you know, you're running in the organisation. And so that's an important bit. And I think from my perspective, you know, it's also, um, uh, it's the knowledge that I've brought through my 30, career, 30 years um, in the public sector. So a combination of that sort of fresh eyes, being able to see across a broad range of organisations and plus my experience. But, but interestingly, from a personal point of view as well, your, your training was as a journalist and mm. journalists are curious people. So that connecting piece right. is really probably draws a lot on your yeah. journalism history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like to see myself as sort of that relationship builder and um, and interestingly, you know, I think that's what, um, you know, that stakeholder piece is really important in government, um, in, the, in the public sector, it's really important in the private sector um, and, you know, forming those relationships of trust was something that you had to do as a journalist, you know. So that was a, that's been a really nice transition in my career that I probably didn't sort of realise how important that was. And, and that uh, that skill that I was learning as a journalist. Mm. So you you didn't feel that you drew upon it, or you were drawing upon it just naturally because it was where you came from. Yeah, I think, um, and, and I think it struck me most when I went into ASIO, and I you know loved that role and and that you know the art of it. Not that I was an intelligence officer. I always told my kids, I went, oh, that's really exciting, and I went, yeah, well, actually, I'm the manager. I'm, I'm the manager of the spies. I'm not the spy. But but what I saw about that, you know, that's all about. About, you know, you know, creating sort of trust, you know. Yeah. So intelligence officers are all about creating trust with people around them. And so, you know, that thread throughout your sort of career. Um, and, yeah, to your point, I probably didn't recognise the skill set I had as a journalist and how applicable that was in terms of, um, you know, particularly in that public sector career that I've had. So what are you seeing at the beginning of 2021 with such a you know, mercurial year behind us and really still a great deal of uncertainty as to, to what sort of is, is, is to come uh, and obviously internationally as well. You know, we are so joined up, you know, uh, countries may be reverting somewhat, you know, behind borders and boundaries, but I think we're forever linked in, in many, many ways and probably more so than we've ever been in the past. Yeah. What's your, your take on on what we're going to be, be dealing with and, and how can we be successful and, and particularly to this audience who are working in government communication, which really has had an elevated um, role um, in the COVID response crisis. It really is now front and centre in everything that government does. What, what do you see as coming in the next sort of 12 to 24 months? Yeah, so I think, um, and I have been out, you know, working with a number of organisations over the last, um, and reflect that are reflecting uh, mm. sort of the last 12 months and what it means and they're now all starting to be in that planning phase and... Um, uh, of what's happening next. So I think, you know, there's a few things that stand out for me at a very sort of personal level for mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, for leaders, managers in the public sector. And 
One is that there's um, there's a great deal of difference that's happening between individual leaders where some of them are going, right, let's get back into it and, um, and being very optimistic about what the next 12 months will bring and knowing they've got lots of work sort of to do um, and, and in a way, you know, where they might have been, you know, really focused their efforts sort of down, you know, keeping the, keeping things ticking over and they might have been, you know, really really doing a lot in that um, crisis management and now they're trying to get back. Yeah. Back into a business as usual. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, so a group of people are really optimistic and getting on with it. Others that are going, oh my gosh, are we going to have an up and down year and and sort of stealing themselves for resilience as leaders, which I think is really important because it's probably not going to be just a steady ship for the next 20, you know, throughout 2021. You know, we're probably going to see other outbreaks of, um, of the virus. We're going to see, you know, sort of ups and downs for organisations. So I think I think leaders have got a really hard task in the next 12 months. Um, I think they're starting to also think in that way about you know how they how different it will be in terms of um, staff wanting to um, maybe work. Uh, in a more flexible way and feeling a bit of tension with some of their leadership that are wanting to bring people back face-to-face into the office and others that aren't. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, my short answer, which has been now a very long answer, <laughs> is really big cultural shifts, I think, are going to be the hallmark of 2021. So when you talk about those those types of leaders, interestingly, mm. I read a book over the the holidays, the holidays on, on grand strategy and they mm. ca- characterised the hedgehogs and the foxes, you know, the hedgehogs yep. being able to sort of see the big picture, know the North Star and sort of let's go for it, whereas the foxes are a little bit more sort of tactical and sort of picking yep. things but wary of, of what's going on. How do you manage a collective of hedgehogs and foxes in, in a leadership group across something like the public service where you have very important conversations, which you clearly were a part of when you were mm. part of the Secretary's mm. Board, how, how do those conversations move? How, how, how do they get resolved? Yeah, so I think within your, within your organisation, I mean, my and what I um, try and get leaders to do um, in the role that I'm playing now is to actually get the, get people to be very honest and call them out, you know. So, um, so I was involved in a... In a planning sort of exercise um, uh, earlier this week and getting people to talk about sort of at that senior leadership level about what what they're seeing, um, what they think they're going to have to deal with it and in fact their own views and and what you'll find is across, you know, people are people and so you've got your leaders that are actually in all different spots as well. So Mm. I I think, and this is so a segue into communication. Yeah, but it's almost in every group, isn't it? As as you went through, if you go through an organisation, Organization, a, yep. an executive leadership team inside a department, but then mm. even a, a, fa- a you know a, a, a lower level coordinating group. Again, you're going to have different personalities, Correct. different people. So Correct. yeah, yeah, and it's a hallmark of change management and culture wherever you go. You know, you've got to realise that not everyone looks like you. And yeah. um, but I think it's where your your internal comms team, you know, really comes into play too so that that you get that sort of messaging going across the organisation you actually have the conversations and there's a big mental health piece to that too. Mm. You were mentioning that in our previous interview that importance of internal communications and I think a bit you were saying that on reflection having left the job that you probably never quite sort of appreciated the importance of getting that right so 
In terms of that, what what were you suggesting when you you were thinking that you perhaps could have done more in that area? Yeah, well, I, I'll. Um I'll reflect a little bit on some advice that Gordon DeBrow gave me <laughs> as well. And uh, he, um, you know, former secretary and a great colleague, um, and, uh, you know, he said, just be mindful that whatever you're doing as leader, everyone is watching you and everyone is trying to pick up on sort of what the meaning is. And sometime it, it was, you know, reading things into stuff that you, you didn't actually mean at all. So, um, and I've got quite a sense of humour, I think. And so, you know, I'd have a throwaway line and then have to go back and go, Oh, actually, I was just, you know, I was just joking about that. I didn't mean that. Leave the jokes so, to Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> that's right, that's right, yeah. Not a very good stand-up comedian, I don't think, so me. Um, so I think I think it's actually being really mindful as a leader about the importance of that messaging and really sitting down and being... Um, you know, it's a hard one, you know, because in some ways, you know, you want to be really natural as a, as a leader and um, and say what you're thinking and being very honest and genuine. And that was, you know, something that I really um, aspired to do in everything that I did in all my messaging. But, but you also have to manage that quite well in the sense that, you know, be quite strategic about what, how you're messaging and when you're messaging and what you're saying. And that's where your internal comms team is really important, that they need to be honest with you about about when you're getting it wrong, they need to be working with you about how often you're out there and, and the consistency of your messaging I think is really important and really important in big organisations, you know. But how did then, and I know probably a number of internal comms people would say, we would love to be able to play that role but we just mm. can't get enough time mm. with the secretary because they're just absolutely flat Smashed. to the boards seven days a week. Yeah. So what's your advice? How do comms, internal comms people you know, find the time and the space and the encouragement from a secretary, you know, to, to give them their, their, their best advice. Yeah, so I'd suggest a few things. I think, um, you know, if they don't have that sort of direct line of sight, then they're going to be working to a senior leader who hopefully does. So, you know, they need to be able to influence where they can influence. Right. And so influence sort of up the line. But, uh, and I think last time I spoke, you know, that you've got to actually show your value add. So, yeah. um, so you know, what's your 30-second piece of advice? And I think, you know, I was I was taught, you know, pretty early in my career, you know, make every, um, every conversation a winner by, you know, if, you, if you've if you got that 30 seconds of time that you've got with a, a senior leader, whether it's whether it be your direct manager or your, or the secretary in a lift or, you know, that, that make that a winner and have, you know, that key point so that then, you know, they can reflect on that and go, oh, could you just get such and such for me on the phone or up to my office because they made mention that they thought, you know, here was an opportunity for me to, you know, better do this or um, here was a key thing that they were hearing from the floor that people wanted to hear from me, that sort of thing. So I think, you know, being, you know, really clever about sort of how you're interacting, you know, up the line. Did you ever find that, you know, through your career that people would sort of, um, by happenstance, perhaps just turn up in places and have these conversations mm. with you and they were quite strategic mm. about jumping in the lift with you at the right time. Yeah, yeah, it sounds a bit sort of, you know... <laughs> no, but it's, a, but it's, but but it's, it's good it's, advice though, isn't yeah. it? It's good advice yeah. to people to yeah. be strategic, to be thoughtful, but to know where those influence points are, yeah. to think it through and then really go for it. Go for it, yeah. So um, at one stage... Uh, in my career and I was a, a branch head and um, my division head, uh, I knew 
went down to this coffee shop at <laughs> 6.30 every morning, okay? And... What, um, well away from the building or near no, the building? near the building, near okay. the building. But I knew that he did that and I knew his time was really tight. So, you know, I I would actually, you know, if I really needed to see him, and I didn't overplay it. I think that's the other thing, you know. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't go and, you know, get into the lift every morning with your secretary <laughs> and time them and, you know, follow them around. I don't think that's the way to go. So there's a bit of nuancing here. But for this particular yeah. division head, you know, I'd go, oh, Bob, you know, Really sorry to interrupt your coffee, but, uh, hey, you know, I really think, you know, I need to have a chat with you about this. And he'd go, oh, yeah, sure, you know, and as long as you didn't outstay your work. But I, but I do think, you know, it's being a bit strategic, a bit smart about how you do that, but also, you know, not overstaying your welcome and not annoying people. So to the, to the task of communications, and I think you're ideally suited having, you know, started and come through communications and, in, in fact, being one of the few communications professionals to assent, you know, the, uh, the, the, the pinnacle. Um, where do you see comps at the moment in government organisations and, and what would your advice be to people listening um, about what they can do to perhaps, you know, uh, influence their career? Yeah, so... So as a comms professional, I think it, I think um, thinking about, you know, what those skills actually mean and being able to apply them in different ways. So, you know, I, I said a little earlier that I, I took a while to appreciate sort of the skills that I had as a journalist that mm. could be more broadly sort of used. And um, so, you know, that, that ability to be, um, you know, to as you say, to be inquisitive and to um, to look across a wide range of sort of areas. And I've been, you know, very much a generalist in my career and there's been, you know, there's sort of two different paths you can sort of go down, I always thought, in terms of the public sector. Um, and one was, you know, to have really deep knowledge and, you know, go up through, you know, and Treasury is often one that's cited where, you know, deep expertise and sort of climb that ladder. I or you could be a generalist, um, but be inquisitive and know lots of things about lots of things and be able to apply that. So I was the latter. And my journalistic sort of background was really helpful there. Mm. So I knew how to ask questions, or I know how to ask questions. I know um, I know enough about a lot of things, mm. you know, to be able to sort of apply that. So I think really thinking about that skill set, the other thing that I was very good at, at doing was to be able to take all of that information and write it into a brief that was short and sharp in the same way you write a media release, in the same way that, you know, you, you get your key points. What are your killer three points? You know, what are the things that you want to say in terms of writing a speech? All of those things are the same things that you apply when you're going to brief a minister. Minister, you know, really tight for time. Yeah. Um, what are, the, what are the things that you need to get out of that um, discussion and where do you need to be at the end of it So um, when they're time poor? So, you know, I think that skill set, you know, is really applicable in the public sector and probably more so now than ever before. Mm. That curiosity uh, really interests me because I think, as I find in a lot of our consulting work, is that you following, you're following your nose almost. You don't quite know where you're going to end up, but it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to go over there and have a look. And then you sort of ask a few more questions and you find yourself elsewhere. So I think there's sort of that evolving role almost for the yeah. comms people to be the ones who find these connections and try to bring them together. And in the communications department, you might not be the ultimate authority to be able to make something happen, yeah. but you could package something up in a way to then take it to the relevant person and say, hey, 
did you know, which is often the case that I find, is that there's not enough talking with each other. And so as the comms person, you can be the one who's actually joining the, the organisation up as opposed to the others who are you know, perhaps not looking left or right or diagonally through the organisation. So yeah. I think that's a real opportunity. I, I agree. I think, you know, drawing those threads together because, you know, and if I think about... Uh, when we were doing different campaigns in different agencies and um, and the comms people, as you say, were seeing all of these different threads and saying, ah, actually, you know, the minister's office are not quite on song with us here and they think that, you know, there's a problem here. And, and often you found that um, almost a confidant role that was happening between the media um, team in the minister's office and, you know, the yep. press sec and the comms person within your agency because they had forged that relationship of trust that then I found they could come up through whether I was a depth sec or you know whatever that could say hey I think there's a bit of a problem here yeah and influence that that path so you know you're in a in some real positions of privilege in those comms areas and if you can use that in the right way and um similarly if you're doing you know the um uh, speech writing, either for secretaries or um, or ministers, and working with ministers' offices, you tend to then you know know lots of things and get the nuances that you know your policy team and program delivery team you know it's gold for them. So being able to tap into that's really important. Mm. And and if as secretary you're showing that there's actually a broader role that the comms team can play, then you'll find that others around you follow that and go, oh, okay, well you know carry off obviously you know spends yeah. a bit of time with them. Maybe there's some something in this, you know, and that's that, you know, that's that's really useful influencing. So you mentioned campaigns there um, and obviously the COVID-19 vaccination, there will be um, quite a bit of information, public information. If you were running something like that, what would you be thinking about that you had to make sure you got right in order to successfully run the, the vaccination program? So I'd be first and foremost making sure you've got alignment between um, ministers, secretaries, line areas that are doing the work and that that you um, you understand the sort of evidence base um, that uh, that you know your that the people you've got on board are trusted um, through the political process, that maybe, you know, the people that are doing focus groups work. And, and I'm not talking about being political, I'm talking I'm talking about being savvy that that your whole team and the people that are working with you um, are going to be trusted by everyone through the process. Yeah. Um, and and that, you know, that eases the way uh, to get a successful outcome. So, you know, I've been in, involved with campaigns where, um, where we knew that, um, you know, the minister might want to go in a certain direction and the, the evidence was showing us something slightly different. And it was really crucial that that middle player that was sort of doing right. the focus groups and working it through and getting the evidence was really trusted by all sides and, and could be... The you know, person the to pers- give the news. The person to give the news yeah. because sometimes it will be more respected because of just because of who they are or because of the work that they've done before. So I think not being... Um, too precious about that and, and knowing how to how to utilise those sort of, um, uh, you know, sometimes those middle players. Sure. And implementation, once you've sort of yeah. got that planning bit, what would you, what, what advice would you have when people are implementing these to make sure that they, that they land um, mm. the outcomes? Mm. 
So, so I think it goes right back to, you know, having the skill set that you need in your comms team to actually get through the process for a start, you know, to actually make sure that everything that you're doing is squeaky clean because there's no doubt that, um, you know, when it comes to estimates time that campaigns will be front and centre and, you know, be asked all sorts of questions. So, you know, I'll, I'll put on my bureaucrat hat and say, you know, you really need people that, that understand those processes and can keep you honest and you've done all the signing off as secretary or DEPSEC or whoever that, that you need to do, the legalities of it, the procurement, all of that sort of thing. Mm. And then running with the implementation, um, I think, you know, one of the important things is to have a good feedback loop all the time, that, you know, yep. that it's... Um, uh, that it's working and that if you have to pivot that it's... Or that it's it not pivot, working. It's not working, that's mm. right. Um, and, yes, I guess by implication that, you know, that if it's not working that you can pivot. Mm. Um, uh, I think, you know, actually understanding what you're what you're actually trying to achieve which might be different from the political process to a departmental process. So, mm. so um, and, and watching sort of your your, you know, your media coverage and things throughout. But I think that, oh, you know, I know it's really overused but and I can't think of a better word at the moment than agile, but, you know, yeah. but really being able to sort of um, not lock in um, too much so that then you can go back and say, actually, you know, government, this isn't working as well, we're not getting this this outcome, we think we need to actually sort of move this slightly and maybe do more in radio or less in less in radio, you know, or whatever it is. What know. are your views on that sort of changing landscape? Sort of back in the day, mm. you know, it was pretty easy, you know. There was TV, <laughs> TV there was radio, radio there was newspaper, <laughs> there was yeah. outdoor. Yep. Now we live in a much more complex um, world where people's attention is fragmented, there are all sorts of channels that people consume content, spend their time. How would how do you sort of view that as someone who would you know again be giving perhaps advice to departments about how do they how do they play in this new space? So again, take the advice of your professionals, um, yeah. and and they in turn need to be keeping a um, abreast of sort of where uh, where the contemporary sorts of um, uh, media are going. Um, uh, I'd say to departments, you know, don't be um, too risk-averse, you know, be willing to try things, which is easier said than done, you know, mm -hmm. and it depends exactly. on the risk appetite of everyone up the line up to ministers and prime ministers. Um, but, uh, but really being conscious that... Um, that there are lots of new ways, you know, and lots of new social media outlets and, and, you know, you need to be, you don't need to be ahead of the curve, but you need to be sort of understanding of where that curve is going. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, willing to try things and, and prove that they work and then flying them back, not doing it in too big a way, you know, maybe testing some of those things out. But I think really importantly that you have to put the resources behind that, you know. So I think, you know, when we first started to, you know, dabble in social media, it seems like, you know, not that... Well, it's not well, that it's not, long it ago. It's not that long ago, but... Um, and, you know, we were all a bit fearful and, you know, having yeah. lots of lots of clearance processes yeah. and, and you, you know, you need that speed. You know, you can't have all the same sorts of clearance processes that maybe, you know, the public services used to and that some people's risk, risk appetite is sort of, you know, around. But I think um, 
so you need to sort of step back and work through that and, and how do you test those out. But if you don't actually have the resources behind them to do it, you can end up in a mess. And, mm. um, um, so don't skimp. Don't, yeah, don't skimp and, and um, because actually you'll probably end up in a bad spot. Mm. So listen, you've had a, a wonderful career. Is there a favourite job that you had? I hope my career is still going on. <laughs> <laughs> not dead yet. Not, not, yeah, it's probably a bit premature. Um, <laughs> Actually, I called. Um, I did an interview with Mike Mike Pizzullo at the end of of last year. Um, again, for people overseas, um, a very accomplished. Um, senior Australian public servant and I called him distinguished and he said exactly the same thing. So, <laughs> distinguished, it sounds like someone who's sort of, you know, smoking a pipe in the corner. You know, I've got plenty to do, you know, very, so yes, yeah, well, apologies I hired, for that. No, I was hired, I was hired <laughs> the other day and someone called me eminent and I said, does that actually just mean old? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what point you get to eminent, but um, um, sorry, now I've lost track yeah. of your question no, about question, a favourite job. Oh, favourite, yes. Yeah, see, one. that's a bit like, you know, picking a favourite <laughs> child, you know, you end up in all sorts of issues. So, um, so look, I, um, you know, I loved, um, uh, I loved being secretary. I loved being able to sort of, you know, mould an organisation and, and lead an organisation and lead the lead the culture piece. You know that. So that people piece is really important to me. And that's a that was a big department too, wasn't yeah, it? Really. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about the issues: piece. employment, skills. Small business, family business. Yeah, like, yeah. that's huge. Yeah, and, and prior to that, I had workplace relations as well, which is, you know, always an area that's fraught and it yes. was new to me and really, you know, really interesting area, obviously, um, you know, hot in the press at the moment. So so I really like that and I've loved the diversity of, of the different things I've done. And, look, you know, I loved working in ASIO and I loved, um, you know, that was, um, you know, a very different business that, you know, um, uh, meant that I um, had great linkages with colleagues internationally as well, but just learning a new sort of craft and that yeah. was really interesting. Um, yeah, and um, and I did a lot of work there with diversity and I love okay. loved doing that and that's a bit of a passion of mine as well. So as they say, do what you love, never work a day in your life. Mm, so have you, have you, you must sort of look back on at least this first part of your career <laughs> Yeah. Um, when you look back, what do you think? You know, the girl from Queensland who was a reporter out on a, you know, country newspaper, makes her way to the big city. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, that's the sort of tale that you have. What do you think when you sort of look back over that time? I, I look back and think about um, that diversity of career that I've had in the public sector. Yeah. Um, and... And you do sort of go, oh, wow, how did I get from A to B and how did that work? And there is a story and a thread behind that uh, that that is all about networking and is all about relationship building and and also being sort of a person that really liked to see... Um, uh, to make change happen and see change work. So I can see that sort of thread. And so, so for me... Um, I guess what I look back and see is sort of that um, I've I've had a really privileged sort of that part of my career to do lots of different things um, and to be leading lots of different teams in lots of different subject matters that I'm not sure that you could get in any other career. Mm. So from, you know, from, 
you know, diverse things like, you know, Biotechnology Australia. I'm not a scientist, but I could lead a group of scientists to being in, um, being ASIO with, you know, groups of spies that, you know, what's the similarity there? The similarity is around that networking. It's around leadership. It's around good communications. It's around good management. But was it those things that got you the job? The, you know, to ask the yeah. question then directly, what, so what was it that you did that helped you to get all of those different jobs? And, yeah. and, and people had confidence in you to be able to go, yeah, okay, I think Kerry will be able to do that. What did you do? What were you good at? So I think first and foremost, it's just being competent about the task that you're doing at the time. You know, if you're if you're not delivering on yeah. a particular thing, then you're never going to be looked at by anyone yeah. else. And then I think it's having good people around that go that want to stretch you and say, actually, right, you know, you you've worked really well with people here. Let's see if we can stretch you to do the next thing. Um, but but it is at the heart of it. It is about you know good communication. It is about building good relationships and networks. Um, it is about then as you grow in your career, it's about being strategic. And so when people said to me, oh, wow, was it really different being in Asia? I went, well, it's an organisation as well, you know. Yeah. So there's the same fundamentals there. But first and foremost, David, you know, if you're not actually delivering and being competent um, at what you know your task of the day is, then you're never going to get to that next step. And what's your advice to people about competence, about mastery, what should they be doing to be really good at what they do? Listening. Listening. Mm, okay. I think, I think really listening to people around them about, you know, what they're looking for in you in the job, um, not pretending that you actually know everything about a job when you walk into it. So leave your ego at the door and, um, and learn, you know, as you're going, but but understand what your value add is in each of those roles. So I always understood the things that I actually brought to a job and the things that I didn't. So what what it was that I could and, and you know when I worked in the Department of Finance, you know, um, I knew that the pieces that I could bring, I, I knew that I didn't know sort of the financial piece of that, but I knew what I could bring in terms of um, in terms of developing, you know, high-performing teams. And um, um, similarly in ASIO, you know, similar similarly, you know, in stepping into workplace relations, you know, okay, learning from those around you, but actually applying what you could value add on top of that and being really clear with, with people on that, not pretending you knew things you didn't. Were you good at seeking feedback from people? Were you always asking for feedback and, and tr you know, good, bad, indifferent? Yeah, so I'm smiling because um, I um, I was fortunate to always sort of and often taking my um, my trusted PA with me and okay. exec officers. So that immediate office staff I found was really important, um, who could uh, give you direct <laughs> feedback. Sometimes you know to the point of you actually asking them not to give you any feedback anymore. <laughs> but you know you need those confidants around you. You know who you can yeah. go to, who can say to you, you didn't hit the mark today. <laughs> You know, that meeting didn't go that well or, you know, you lost your audience there, you know, you might want to think about and um, or, you know, to be able to say things to you like, you know, you think that person is working really well but actually Guess they're what? working really well upwards to you, yeah. their team hates them. Yeah. So you need those trusted people around you to tell it as it is um, and, uh, and to be a leveller. Yeah. yeah, really important. 
Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming in and and sharing your time and your wisdom with us today and and with the audience. And there's just so much value. You know, the purpose of this podcast is for people uh, to learn and to take some a few bits and pieces away that they can build into their careers and and hopefully progress. Um, Because again, government communications are vitally important. And uh, I think you are absolutely a role model for, for many in government communications who can see actually we might be able to make our way to the top. And I think it increasingly, I, I have a belief though that there, it might be a little bit easier for those who come behind you that someone like you has been able to do that. It's always the case, I think, that you know, if someone else has been able to do it, well, that means that others can do it as long. But obviously they've got... A lot of, you know, takes a lot of hard work though, doesn't it? It does, yeah. But yeah. I hope so. You know, I hope that I can always sort of be that, that role model and mentor yeah. and people can look up and go, actually, I can do it because I can she do can it do well. it. Yeah. It makes a difference. Everyone needs a role model. Yeah. No, yeah. no question. So thank you, Kerry Hartland, for coming in once again into the uh, uh, GovComs podcast studio. She was here for the GovComs festival. Um, and no doubt we'll get Kerry back um a number of times, actually, as we start to talk about all sorts of different things uh, through the year. And as we start to look at this evolving role of communications in organisations as technology transformed just about everything that we touch. Um, it's a fascinating world uh, that we are lucky enough to work in. And uh, I look forward to talking to Kerry about that into the future. But to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. I'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's... Bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. 